Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help at one point in our discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world from another planet outside in the universe, well, I don't suppose we could wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. Hello and welcome, Cryptique fans. Welcome to the dark side. As always, I'm your co-host, Jay, along with my co-host and dark passenger, Ryan. Nice. Go ahead and click subscribe or follow and tell a friend about your favorite paranormal podcast. Email case suggestions to crypticpodcast at gmail.com. That's C-R-Y-P-T-I-Q-U-E podcast at gmail.com. If you like true crime and want to hear some stories of international serial killers and occult murders, check out the Exploring Evil podcast. If you like movies, and who doesn't, check out the Movie Hell podcast to find your next favorite flick. You can find both podcasts everywhere you find Cryptique. We had a lot of positive reactions to our podcast on feral kids, but what if there was a place where everyone could be considered feral? With that, what are we talking about tonight, Ryan? Tonight we're talking about the North Sentinel Island, and facts you may not know about it. In a century-long summit where technology is expanding at an unprecedented rate and people are worrying about the possibility of nuclear war, it seems impossible to accept the fact that there is a place where people live in the Paleolithic era. What may seem strange to us is that the true truth of the Sentinelese tribe, a tribe sheltered by the Bay of Bengal in the island of North Sentinel, is that they have not only avoided any contact with the foreign world, but stand as an advocate for their island if anyone comes to it. A thick forest-like umbrella prevents the world from knowing or gathering any information about this tribe. We don't even know how many people actually call this island their home. The North Sentinel Island is approximately the same size as New York's Manhattan Island, about 60 kilometers squared. However, in 2004, when the tsunami changed the island's topography by an elevation of 1 to 2 meters, it resulted in an increase of about 1 kilometer in the west and south, and in turn linked the main island to a coastline about 600 meters off the coast of Constance. So their homeland is so small that it doesn't take much of an event to actually change their whole geography of their island. On November 17th, 2018, an American missionary was killed by the Sentinelese people on North Sentinel Island. 
By all accounts, the missionary John Allen Chow had violated the Sentinelese's No Visitors Covenant when he bribed a few native fishermen to take him to North Sentinel Island. Smart, huh? Maybe not. <laughs> do we do we know what happened to John Allen Chow? I don't know what happened to John Allen Chow. He was murdered. They don't like outsiders. And who can blame them? I mean, if you look at what civilization has brought to native tribes and indigenous people around the world, while it, it may have some advantages, it has brought chaos and destruction to everything it's touched as far as indigenous people. I mean, I can't really yeah. think of a good example where there was a an indigenous tribe somewhere and civilized people from the Western world went to investigate or make contact or most likely either to convert to a religion or be shown the light. It's all been bad news after that. Mm -hmm. I was just listening to something a while ago about basically the Mayans and the mm -hmm. native people that were, you know, basically wiped out by the Spanish. Mm -hmm. And there are these theories that, you know, the way that this giant empire could have been wiped out was because the natives didn't understand what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. I even saw this um, theory that maybe the native people couldn't see or understand what the ships were. If they'd right. never seen anything like that before, there's this, it, it was related to this whole conversation about the color blue because mm -hmm. the color blue, like the word blue doesn't appear in so many of these ancient references up until, I don't know, fairly recently in the scheme of like humanity. Hmm. And, you know, there are all these ways of kind of getting around how you talk about the ocean, like shades of green or looking like mold wine or something like that, like odd ways of describing it. But blue is never one of them. The sky is never described as blue. So there are people saying like, well, you know, maybe blue is something that people couldn't see. There's actually evidence that tribes that don't have blue as a thing that they see all the time have trouble identifying it from shades of other colors. Mm hmm. But it's one of these things where it's like, you know, there had to be people standing on the shore. Like, people are generally intelligent, even mm -hmm. back then. Like, we were biologically very similar. Right. And there was somebody standing on the shore who was like, that's a big boat. Yeah. Like, I have a little boat that I fish in. That's a freaking big boat. Right. And this is probably bad news for me because there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. I, I don't buy the idea that, you know, a native, a native group or even individual would have no idea that it's a bad idea to interact with this group of people coming in. Yeah. Or, or, or understand that there's like a possibility for something to go wrong. Yeah. Cause you're right. There's pretty much no circumstance where that goes well for the less advanced group. Or, or actually, I, I don't even know if you can make the argument that the minds were less advanced given what we know about their society. It might just be, it's never a good idea for those who are being contacted. Mm -hmm. You know, it's better for the people doing the contacting. And I've heard of the natives, at least in the in the what's now the United States, say or, or describe the boats as giant canoes pushed by clouds. And mm -hmm. they saw this, the white sails and thought that 
the people had somehow harnessed a cloud to push their boats. That's interesting. But for the most part, it's, you know, we talked about conversion and stuff, but it's usually conquest when Westerners spread out and go to a place. They're not usually there to, as far as governments go, they're not usually there to visit and have a vacation and learn the ways of the people there. They're there to take their land and, you know, destroy their religion and bring famine, disease, all that good stuff. And diseases go both ways because wasn't True. syphilis not a thing in Europe before contacting natives of basically the Americas? That I don't know. I think I read this thing before about, well, about the conquistadors bringing some sexually transmitted disease back to Europe. Sure. And I know there was some sexually transmitted disease that was really common among Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And like during the Lewis and Clark expeditions, I think it was Lewis. There was some suspicion among the uh, kind of the explorers with him because the rest of them were hooking up with natives. And they were all mm-hmm. getting this disease, so they were all like, there was all stuff that was wrong with them, you know, with their right. bits and bobs. And they're yeah. like, oh, something, something's up with Lewis. He doesn't have anything going on with him. Like, right. why is he not getting this? Yeah, they were yeah. just hitting holes, man. <laughs> and I'm sure that there was a lot of rapes taking place because I can't imagine an indigenous woman or or lady or girl being like, oh, I want to have sex with these outsiders that have come to take our land. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could be wrong. But in general, what we're saying is that when foreign governments visit untouched paradises, if you will, like uh, the Amazon rainforest or in this case, Sentinel Island, they usually don't bring anything good. Yeah. And if there's coconuts that are being handed out, you can bet there's a bunch of bullshit that comes with it. <laughs> yeah. It, just another, you know, quick aside. Yeah. It, it seems odd to me. And I think probably odd to a lot of people out there that you wouldn't want to learn about whatever culture it is you're coming in contact with. Mm-hmm. Cause when I was in grad school, there were students from all over. And I remember mm-hmm. there were a couple of students from Turkey. You know, there were, there were like open house events and things like that. And sometimes some of the grad students would represent our specific school. Sure. And I remember going with one of them and I was just talking to her, you know, what's this like? What's that like? You know, I, I, I know a little bit from research that I've done and stuff that I've seen on TV. Like, is this true? Is that, you know, is this the way this is laid out? You know, and she's like, oh, you, she's like, she just said, you're probably the only American I've met who's interested in hearing about where I'm from. Mm -hmm. She was saying most people that she met in the U S wanted to know what she thought of America, Mm -hmm. not to know if what they thought of where she was from was right or how things were different or how their culture was. And I wonder if that's just a natural proclivity that most people have towards kind of focusing, like let's show them our stuff and have them interact with our stuff. Mm -hmm. with me at that time it was just i was more used to being 
open to learning things and asking questions and trying to understand how things worked and other points of view. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I was studying market research and things like that. So I was doing focus groups and studies anyway. So right. maybe that's why. But yeah, it does seem like uh, in general with most conquering nations, like they're not interested in taking the best practices of that nation. They want to take the wealth from where they're going or the women or... Right you know, beast of burden, if it's something that they can take with them and use or, or yeah. land or whatever, any kind of resources they can plunder. Yeah. Not many have even heard of North Sentinel Island. That's a result of it being a tiny speck of an island in the Andaman Island chain. North Sentinel Island is definitely one of the largest islands in this cluster of islands within the Bay of Bengal, an arm of the Indian Ocean. The 572 islands of the Andaman Island chain are positioned between India and Myanmar. North Sentinel Island is roughly the same size as the Isle of Manhattan, whereas a lot of the islands that make up the Andaman Island chain are significantly smaller. Technically, North Sentinel Island and a lot of the Andaman Islands fall below the rule of India in what is known as the Union Territory of India. Just a few of the islands on the northern fringe of the island chain nevertheless belong to Myanmar. These international locations take a hands-off strategy to the native people of the islands, respecting their privacy. And that's great. That is fantastic. And we know that Myanmar is not off conquering new lands all the time, right? They're, <laughs> they're not uh, world travelers and you know going out to try and steal land. India, mm -hmm. I don't know a whole lot about the... Uh, the strategy of India if they're trying to take new lands or expand. But I, from what I understand, I think they're happy with what they've got, even though they need a lot more land because it's so overcrowded. But mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic that these two governments are like, you know what, going to leave them alone. If they want something, they can come to us. It's, it's like a, a good parent, you know, saying like, <laughs> well, my, my kid, you know, I've done my best. My kid's grown up. If they need me, they'll come to me. And if they don't, they'll make their own decisions and face their own consequences and stuff like that. It's a very respectful way to tackle a society that lives around your borders that you don't understand or communicate with just to leave them alone. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I, I kind of think of it a little bit like the way the U.S., at least now pretty much leaves native american tribes alone mm -hmm. i mean there's 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 interaction but it, they don't leave them totally alone but it's kind of like you you can have your own set of laws like like you'll see commercials and stuff depending on where you are for services or companies that operate within indian reservations mm -hmm. and sometimes if it's like a there are like loan companies and things like that that are kind of sketchy Right. And it's because the, they don't have to adhere to the same laws as the rest of the U.S. because they're sort of sovereign in that way. Mm -hmm. So they can charge different interest rates or compound on different periods. You know, there, there's a lot of autonomy that they have apart from that. Anything to exploit people. Yeah, I understand the comparison, but in obviously Sentinel Island is tiny but it would be different. It would be more like what happened to the American Indians if, say, India went and stripped all the natural resources, 
uh, brought their <laughs> disease and decimated the population. Yeah, and, pushed them off into land they didn't want. Right, and cut then down we're all like, the okay, trees now, and said, go for it. Yeah, and they were like, now, now you're pretty much on your own. Yeah. And now that, yeah, since we're talking about it, it's like, it, that's pretty dissimilar. Well, at first thought, it did seem that way. But yeah, now now I'm realizing I'm very wrong because there is a lot of interaction between Native Americans and the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And this is like, they totally leave them alone. All right. While the island chain has been recognized since antiquity, the islands weren't repeatedly visited by outsiders until the British Golden Age of Exploration. Between about 1450 to the early 1600s, British explorers, adventurers, and missionaries traveled to many beforehand unexplored locations. Their function was threefold, to glean riches from overseas lands, as we talked about, to increase the holdings of the British Empire, which we talked about, and to spread Christianity, which we also talked about. And it just sickens me because these governments throw in conversion to their religion, and I think that they don't give a shit about the people that live there. They're not trying to save them or change them. They're using that as an excuse to go in and they can say, we're just trying to civilize these savages and help them get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cop out. I'm, I'm always interested by the idea of religions interacting. Mm-hmm. Like when you walk into a Sam's or a Costco or something like that, and there's some salesperson standing there like, <laughs> hey, let me ask you, who do you have for cable or who do you have for your cell phone service? And it's you like, look like oh, you could I've... use some new windows. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I've already I've already got that taken care of. Don't worry. And they're like, oh, OK. And they just let you go. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, can I interest you in a new God? No, oh, we got our own. It's OK. Yeah. OK. It's just such a I don't know. I don't know how that works or what it is that. I don't know if it's a true zealous belief that makes you do that or just a desire to spread your ideology. Yeah. Because I think that's kind of a natural thing. I mean, I think we're seeing that now, like in, you know, 2022, that people just want to spread their ideology because now we're at kind of a point in society where it seems like who you are and what you do doesn't matter as much as what you believe. And if what you believe isn't what I believe, mm-hmm. then we can't be friends mm-hmm. or we can't even be civilized to each other in some cases. And a lot of people have these quote unquote beliefs that they, they don't run deep. Like they don't understand. Like I saw a car with a, a Chinese red star and a Russian hammer and sickle in this like pimped out, civic you know with rims and lights and stuff like that and i'm like you think you could have that car in russia you'd be driving a fucking yugo get your (laughs) shit together you know what i mean like these people are like oh you know communism well yeah you want to be breaking rocks for a living you're not going to get to be on the geek squad at best buy if you live in china you know right you're going to be monitored 24 7 and you know if you i think like you said on a previous podcast if if you grow a long beard and you google iran you're going to be locked up yeah and these people have all these freedoms to express 
anything they want, but they don't research or even think deeply about what they want. I, I think that people actually like see the red star and they think like, oh, that looks cool. Yeah. And the sickle and the hammer. Yeah, that seems pretty cool. Those are cool images, icons that people are wearing. And I'm down with that. I don't know, just even things as simple, like, like you're saying, these are, people have, in some cases, very surface-level understandings. Mm -hmm. One of those that was recently pointed out to me was people on the left point mm -hmm. at people on the right and say you're a Nazi, mm -hmm. where the Nazi party was meant to be a socialist party, mm -hmm. more like what the left is trying to be. Right. It's like yes. just these real simple little things where it's like, it just seems like maybe you don't quite understand your argument or why you're making that argument or it's just a knee jerk thing that you say because other people say it. It is sort of unbelievable that the Sentinelese people have occupied North Sentinel Island for thousands of years. Anthropologists and researchers consider the Sentinelese to be more closely linked with the people of Africa than that of India, resulting in theories that the island was settled by vacationers from Africa's west coast. And I think in this article, when they're describing vacationers, uh, <laughs> that could be lost in translation. Possibly. It seems very casual. I think it might be, yeah, explorers or maybe maybe they do mean vacationers. Maybe they mean people who went there for reasons well i mean it, other than other than exploration they may have gone there for resources they may have gone there for fishing yeah and it's a beautiful island from what i've seen i mean if i came from uh, alaska and i was sailing the seven seas and ended up in hawaii I might be like you know what <laughs> this looks like a great place to settle down yeah when information broke of Chow's homicide at the hands of the remote Sentinelese tribe, media broke into factions. One group considered Chow as a Christian martyr who died at the hands of godless natives. Different groups questioned Chow's knowledge in venturing onto an island that's recognized for killing guests. Kingdom of Heaven, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it was with Orlando Bloom back when he was first starting to get really popular. Hate that, that was about their crusades. Do you? <laughs> I can't stand him. He just looks like a face that needs to be punched. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Punchable Sorry, faces is, is a, it's a fine reason to not like somebody. Yeah. Orlando as long Bloom, as friend of the show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but he's got this line in the movie. They're talking about, um, they're under siege. And they're talking about burning bodies because they have dead that they need to get rid of. Right. You know, and then you're not, if you're Christian or Catholic or some denomination, you're not supposed to be cremated or you weren't supposed to be back in the day. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that, like, you have to be buried. Like, you can't burn the bodies. And he says, God will understand. And if he doesn't, then he's not really God and we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. It, it's something that you can apply to a lot of situations if you're somebody who like really believes mm -hmm. you know that, that they they don't have to understand 
your faith to be okay with it or like in compliance with it. <laughs> right. It's kind of different with uh, the Viking situation. You know, the Viking religion encourages you to be violent and conquer right. and die right. in battle and all this stuff. And it's right. like, those are super incompatible. So I can see if you're a Christian who like truly, truly believes like the only way to save these people is to like get them to stop doing this, then it would be important to convert. Right. But if you're a missionary, a Christian missionary, who's like, I really want to save these people, but you see that they're like generally peaceful and they're doing the same thing you'd have them doing, mm -hmm. whether they were Christian or not, you might just be like, all right, they're, they're cool. Yeah. They're not doing anything wrong by not knowing about your religion right. or your rules. Like right. they're just behaving the way they should anyway. Right. Just carry on. <laughs> yeah. In 1956, India established the Andaman and Nicobar Islands Protection of Aboriginal Tribes Act. Woo. Which formally acknowledges the need to leave the Sentinelese alone. It notes the need of the tribe to maintain their conventional lifestyle and shield themselves from Western diseases, which is a good point, something we talked about earlier. The Indian Navy, which continually patrols the Andaman Island chain, has an official policy known as Eyes On, Hands Off. Military members watch the island to make sure that no unsuspecting outsiders venture onto its shores. And typically, essentially, what we're talking about is a nature reserve that has human inhabitants right mm -hmm. that's a good way of putting it yeah i don't know i'm i i just can't express how happy i am with these two governments that are in the area to just let these people go i just i can't say enough good things about them i i wish that uh more establishments countries whatever would have followed these policies and it's easy to do because, hey, it's the size of Manhattan. We're probably not going to get a whole lot of natural resources from there. But just the act itself of leaving these people alone says a lot about these two governments to me. Yeah, I actually, I appreciate that as well. Like, And, and even the idea that the Indian Navy makes sure nobody goes over there. Right, right. Like, not even just a policy of not going there, like a policy of helping people not end up like that missionary who bribed his way onto the Island. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And when I was saying earlier, I, when you said it was a murder, do we know, is this like a thing that they just do? Do they just kill people that come onto the Island or is there some like procedure for it? Is it part of some tribal law that if you're found to be on there when you're not supposed to be there, you're executed. Or is it just straight up like somebody sees you, you don't look like them. I don't know, you're not supposed to be here, and they just kill you on the spot. Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, I'm just wondering if murder or homicide is the correct way to characterize correct it. Correct term, yeah. Defense. I mean, if I saw tribal people with daggers and spears in my backyard with torches, I'd probably start shooting. Yeah. But if you saw a missionary just chilling with some fishermen. Well, it's worked for them. Just leave yeah, it at that. Yeah, it's worked for them. <laughs> yeah, and whether... it, It's also kind of funny just to think about it from a perspective of like India and how aggressive they can be in dealing with Pakistan. Mm -hmm. 
and then they're like, yeah, we're not even going to screw with these people on this island. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to like... get into that so much. But no, I I hear what you're saying. I, I think that the India-Pakistan conflict is really complicated and too long for us to get into. But It is. And I'm just saying it from a surface. Yeah, it's just a surface level like they have this conflict and they don't even mess with the Sentinelese. Yeah. Like if I was somebody on the Sentinel Island and I understood that, and I don't, maybe we'll get into how much they actually understand about what's going on in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a point of pride. <laughs> right. Like this massive nation of 1.2 billion people or whatever India has now. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even come here. Yeah. They leave us alone because they know better. <laughs> That's right. Nobody wants to die from a spear. God, that would be awful. Yeah. During its historical past, the Sentinelese people have been subjected to much more encroachment by outsiders, which solely reinforces the tribe's want to stay remote. In the late 1700s, when the Andaman Islands were managed by the British, the Indian authorities constructed a penal colony on Great Andaman Island, close to North Sentinel Island. A daily stream of convicted inmates flooded the island chain from Burma and India, infringing on the native people. Well, and this one's pretty simple. I I mean, the countries apparently pulled back any attempt to, you know, escape onto North Sentinel Island, which at the time uh, was separated by, you know, at least a kilometer of ocean from the from the other islands. So it wasn't like they could just, you know, stroll on over. They had to swim i wouldn't want to swim a kilometer in the ocean but swim or build boats or something like that but i guess the uh the government pulled them out or pulled them back you know said no you're not staying here Uh linguists haven't categorized the sentinelese language into recognized dialects despite finding that it is related to vietnamese they have, however, decided that the native people residing on the southern islands of this island chain are ethnically Austroasiatic. The great Andamanese people, one of the other indigenous tribes of the island chain, was assimilated into Indian culture, and in the process, they lost their native traditions, culture, and language. This process had another inadvertent impact. Illness. European illnesses which the native populations had no immunity to decimated the once thriving inhabitants of these islands. Measles, smallpox, influenza, and pneumonia spread like wildfire through the native tribes. I I don't think there needs to be a lot said about this. It's strange that their dialect is similar to Vietnamese. Especially if their physical ancestry seems to be from West Africa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so odd that that their lineage and language are so different. I mean, obviously, you know, people bring disease wherever they go. And if aliens come here, they're going to bring disease. And if we go to another planet where there's any kind of wildlife, we could bring disease to them. And I guess it's important to note that maybe it's a possibility that, say, Europeans, because of their ancestry are born immune to this or that and wouldn't even know that they that it was a disease or that there was anything wrong and then they could spread it to another ethnic 
race or whatever and not even know that they've done it. Yeah. And spreading disease like this is something we've known about for a long time. Even in pop culture, like you're talking about with aliens, uh, War of the Worlds. Uh -huh. But that book came out in 1898. And spoiler, if you haven't read that book, you've had like 130 years to do so. Uh, it <laughs> the aliens are taken out by disease. Mm -hmm. That's what gets them in the end. You know, humans are fighting back, and a lot of the book is about about that and about you know trying to survive while you're under the threat of these things. But ultimately, yeah, it's disease, and there's also changes to you know the earth a little bit. There are plants appearing that weren't there before, stuff like that. So we've known for a long time that disease or changes in local plant life are always something that come with interacting between two groups that haven't seen each other before mm -hmm. or haven't, you know, physically interacted before. And then there's also the theory that, you know, American Indians have always said that for every disease or virus or whatever, nature provides a remedy. But mm -hmm. if if we weren't meant to come to the Americas, then, you know, nature wouldn't necessarily have developed in a way that would provide a remedy for measles or smallpox or anything like that, because it's just not part of the environment that I guess you could say evolved in that spot. We'll be right back with more Cryptique. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy. And if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Have you ever wondered what it's like to kill a man? Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. The Magdalena Soli episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding he was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. 
How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipe so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Although the Sentinelese people survived the encroachment of settlers, explorers, and prisoners, in addition to the illnesses they introduced to them, they have been nonetheless impacted by guests from the outside world. And I use guests in air quotes. Probably odd that they stayed so separated. I mean, just an observation, usually the first time you interact with somebody from an outside society it seems that you never really go back to the way you were before whereas in this case they were impacted by these prisoners being sent there settlers explorers missionaries illnesses and all this stuff and that maybe maybe it's because of where they're located maybe it's difficult to get to and you know it's unfamiliar terrain for outsiders that it was not a good idea to leave people there but it seems like that kind of fortified the Sentinelese against outsiders. And maybe that's a big part of why, you know, like this missionary was killed. Kind of this uh, cultural group memory of we remember what happened the last time. We remember these diseases going through. We remember what it did to us. So we don't take any chances anymore. The Lacandone tribe of the Mexican Yucatan Peninsula was first contacted by outsiders in 1924, and the Pintupi tribe of Western Australia was not recognized until 1984. The Sentinelese tribe isn't the one group of individuals on the planet that stay remote from the, quote, trendy world. In reality, as of the early 2010s, there have been as many as 100 uncontacted tribes residing largely within the Amazon rainforest, Papua New Guinea, and on distant islands. So that's that's interesting. And those estimates are not because these people plan on staying away. They're just that they haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're super remote. Right. Usually in places that are hard to get to. The knowledge we have on the Sentinelese people has really only been collected from a distance through observations from boats. The islanders are known to be hostile and a few instances where they were convinced to allow authorities closer or onto the island were in exchange for, what should I even say? Coconuts? Coconuts. Yeah. That sounds so fucking goofy though. <laughs> it's... Well, think about how awesome it would be if all you ate was fish, if somebody's like, here, here's some coconuts. Because it's quite possible that the, you know, they may have over-harvested 
coconut trees on their island and they just simply don't exist or they're super rare or it could also be possible that they are some part of a religious ceremony or something like that you don't sound convinced no i i guess i am i mean the natives traded like beads for stuff back in the day so why not wampum so in the words of my grandmother they're a pretty cheap date (laughs) (laughs) the lifestyle of the tribes is very unique they still collect food in the forest and hunt which really isn't all that unique if you look at untouched communities or villages but it's foreign to us today you know we may have gardens and go deer hunting but you know it's not a way for us to survive for most of us it's a hobby They also use coastal water as a way of getting seafood. So you can imagine that they probably spearfish. Uh, I have never heard of uh, them using a stick and string type uh, fishing method, Mm -hmm. but uh, you can imagine they collect, you know, mussels and stuff like that. And then probably try to spear stingrays and who knows what else is in the water there. I don't know. As most coastal communities they use the ocean for seafood but what's cool is they make boats that are narrow and described as too narrow to fit two feet so it sounds like dugout canoes but too narrow to fit two feet is kind of a fun description what has been observed is that the islanders live in three small groups and have two types of housing the first type of housing is a large shared hut intended for multiple families Then the second type are more rudimentary shelters which can be seen along the waterfront. These are smaller huts intended for only one nuclear family. That's very interesting. And, you know, with technology skyrocketing like it is, it's only a matter of time before people send, you know, small drones in Mm -hmm, there. mm -hmm. And, you know, they have cameras on them, listening devices. I think that there's going to be a time when science says we have to know about this. It's easily accessible. We can put a uh, an Indian Navy boat out there and run everything from that. It wouldn't even have to be an Indian Navy boat because it could be disguised as an Indian Navy boat. They run drones in, listening devices, cameras, stuff like that. I mean, it's only a matter of time right? I mean, there's always loopholes. Yes, you're not allowed to contact them. Well, am I contacting them if I send cameras and stuff in? Mm, It's kind of a gray area. Yeah, that's true. Because you can even... I mean, there are people now, I've seen videos of people um, using, like, modified versions of this um, Parrot brand plane. Like, it's an RC Mm plane-type drone. And there's a way that you can map like a GPS route of where you want it to go. I can do the same thing with my, I have a Parrot Bebop drone or Bebop 2 or whatever. I don't even know. I hardly use the thing, but (laughs) I can set it up to travel by GPS. So it'll just, I just hit the button and it takes off and it just follows its own route as far as it'll go on battery. But there are people who've modified these things to like fly between islands. Mm -hmm. So you can go from like, um, you know, St. Martin to St. Croix or whatever the next island is and back on GPS because 
you know, all you're doing is setting it to record and then go off and come back. So, yeah, you're probably right. You could send in something small like that. Just it, depending on how far it is, maybe you could send it from another island or, yeah, from a vessel and just wait for it to yeah, come and, back. And see, I didn't even know about I didn't even know about that. That would just make it make it easier. You wouldn't have to be able to maintain radio contact with whatever you're using as far as a drone goes if you can just, you know, plan its route and say boom, it doesn't matter if uh we have, you know, a camera view on the controller as long as the camera on the drone has a a way to record on board, you're all set. Yeah, I've even seen I think in it's either Switzerland. I think it's Switzerland where there are post offices that are kind of up in the mountains and they'll use mm-hmm. um, they're not anything commercially available but it's it, it's some type of drone. It's a very similar thing. It's similar to this plane and it's large enough that they can load letters and stuff in it or very small packages and then they just chuck it mm-hmm and it takes off and it knows where it's going to go based on GPS and there's some kind of system that alerts the next post office when it's coming and they can watch for it to come over the mountains and it just kind of lands on its own just slides down on its belly on the snow and they pick it up if it needs to be charged they charge it and they throw more mail in it and they throw it back over the mountain <laughs> and they, they were saying like how much easier that is than trying to because what they used to have to do is send like these special snowmobiles over and send all these people and it would take oh. you know so much time and it was so dangerous and they're like with these drones that just use you know a gps like they know once they're in the air go to this mm-hmm. height and then fly to this location and drop down yeah. and they were saying now it takes like 45 minutes to deliver mail between these places it used to take you know, a day or so, and it was dangerous. So there's definitely stuff that could do this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't, I had never heard that before. I, I've always heard about Amazon being delivered in drones, but yeah, I don't know. All right, you ready to talk about what they wear? I don't know that I'm ready for it. <laughs> fashion. We're going to talk about fashion. Women wear a Gucci string that is tied around. No. Uh, <laughs> So when we think of even tribes that are known and have had filmmakers and stuff like that come into their tribe to learn and see how they live, they don't consider breasts usually as a private area. There's the old joke about National Geographic magazines. Yeah, I was just thinking I have like 30 years of National Geographic magazines and they are definitely not considered a private area by a lot of, of cultures. (laughs) Right. And similarly, any genitalia may be considered perfectly normal to not be covered. So women wear some string that's tied around the waist, neck and head. Men, as they hunt, are responsible for protection, too. They are going to carry spears and arrows and other primitive weapons. I believe that I saw a club in one of the photos uh, when I was doing research. Um, but they have kind of a similar outfit, but they have a big belt because they have to carry, you know, all these tools on their belt. It's woven fabric. It's very, very simple. And luckily for them, the weather permits. 
so it's always warm mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about snow and stuff like that so they just have very basic uh, almost more like adornments than clothing what do you think i have no thoughts <laughs> you're just thinking about can't wait to get to those national geographic magazines <laughs> <laughs> something like that sure yeah the Sentinelese have been described in the media as a Stone Age people, which doesn't necessarily seem to be true. There's no real evidence to support the idea that they're living the same way their ancestors have for thousands of years on this island chain. Their lives are bound to change and adapt to circumstances like the rest of us. For example, unlike their ancestors, they now use metal in the construction of their arrows, and they've even managed to destroy or disable ships coming into their area. And that's really interesting. I, I They use the word ships in the article and the research, but I, I'm thinking... I'm thinking more boats. Yeah, along the lines of, you know, maybe a big canoe or something like that that was used to try to get to their island. They're not firing off metal spears to ward off, you know, 30-foot fishing boats, I'm sure. Right. But I think you could probably do some damage with metal arrows or metal arrowheads to engines or things like that to disable a, you know, a fishing vessel or something like that that came too close. Or a lot of times you see scientists that, you know, go from a, a ship to a beach using inflatable. True. And that would, you know, obviously easily destroy an inflatable. Mm -hmm. Unlike the Andamanese, who tried to move towards civilization, the Sentinels looked like they were extremely healthy and prosperous. So, again, they can only see them from a distance, but in all the pictures, the islanders look strong and healthy. Eyewitnesses have alleged many children and pregnant women on the island, and it's very difficult to count the people on the island. Generally, the effort is made by standing on the boat and conducting a view count from a distance, so that would be very difficult. The only best way is to guess, and from there, they're estimated to be about 50 to 100. So, not a lot of people. I wonder how long it takes for inbreeding to occur, because if you have 50 people on the island, it's only a matter of time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know at what point your population is too small. I know... Like with cheetahs. Mm -hmm. Cheetahs have certain genetic traits that suggest that they're all kind of related or have some very common ancestor in the past, mm -hmm. which suggests that there was some event that happened that greatly limited their population and there was some kind of inbreeding for a period of time. But the, but the mm -hmm. result is that they're not very um, like robust or genetically diverse. diverse. Yeah. So I don't know how, how small your population has to be for something like that to happen or if enough mixing of even a small population will offset that or maybe that's why they're sinking boats maybe they're like all right we need somebody else let's get some new blood in here <laughs> <laughs> right well you know if if inbreeding and disabilities or whatever occur from it that would be a, a terrible tragedy because really this is kind of a, a jewel of our earth to have these people living this way and as a 
race were deciding to leave them alone, I mean, it would be a real shame to see them decimated by inbreeding after all they've been mm-hmm. through and what they represent. Yeah. Well, let me read this one. Since 1996, the ending... I was like, let me do it. <laughs> Sorry. Turned into sloth from the Goonies or something. <laughs> Well, that's what they're going to end up looking like if they keep inbreeding. <laughs> Since 1996, the Indian government has adopted a policy of not interfering with the Sentinelese, as we said before. Nevertheless, any attempts to try and visit the island were met with little success. The first peaceful contact with the outside world lasted for only 23 minutes. The encounter was with a five-member team led by anthropologist S.A. Arundari. I hope I pronounced that right, or at least I'm close. And the interaction took place through gestures. The communication was made year after year at a secure distance and after sending gifts. The first attempts also included a group of scientists supervised by anthropologist TNN Pendit, who arrived on the island in 1967, but was unable to maintain any friendly contact at all. So they don't like us. Nope. They don't like anybody coming to their island. I mean, that's basically been proven out yeah. and everybody's doing the right thing just to leave them alone. yeah yeah i kind of like that you know like you were saying there's a lot of praise that can be given to most of the people that have interacted with these guys you know the mm-hmm. first peaceful contact being this group led by this anthropologist where all they did was give them something and then kind of stand back and wave or whatever kind of gestures they were using like you know, maybe if they left them some kind of food, they're gesturing like, you know, this is something you eat or this is something you drink or mm-hmm. or this is something you like put on your body that's going to help with, I don't know, like a, a sore or a cut that you have mm-hmm. and just kind of leaving them alone. And they, they were patient enough to let this 23 minute interaction take place over the span of however many years they were trying to deal with these people. Mm-hmm. And it would be extremely difficult to try to make contact with people that I don't know for all intents and purposes are living in the past mm-hmm. we have trouble pronouncing names and they're written in English and just trying to communicate with people that share no communication with you I mean you could wave to people but they might think you know in their culture that could mean I'm coming to kill you yeah yeah, I kind of wonder right. what their gestures would be. Is it like in Spaceballs where they do that, like, up yours thing and then they turn their hand and wave their fingers? You know what I mean? Like, there are certain, um, God, what is that, like, kind of Italian gesture where you, like, flick your fingers out from under your chin? That's like an FU kind of thing. But that's fairly yeah. similar to, like, the sign language gesture for thank you. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's why the why the contact was so short. <laughs> maybe they said something really right. offensive through gestures. <laughs> Absolutely. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Although the Sentinelese are recognized as a scheduled tribe by the government of India, in the matter of government, they act autonomously. However, the island, along with the other Andaman and Nicobar Islands, was excluded from the restricted zone permit that would allow foreigners to enter the island without the permission of the authorities. 
Survival International Director Stephen Carey made a comment on the organization's website saying that, quote, tribes like the Sentinels face disaster if their land is not protected. He's not wrong. I think it's being protected, though. You know, I don't think that it really needs a whole lot more help unless it's, you know, recognized by NATO or something like that. In January of 1880, Morris Vidal Portman was hoping to find out more about the locals and their customs. They completed a successful landing on the islands and found a network of trails and many abandoned village areas. As an experiment, an elderly couple and four young men were taken to Port Blair. The officer in charge of the expedition said that the whole party, quote, quickly became ill and the old man and his wife were dead, so the four children were returned to their home with lots of presents. <laughs> so it seems like they tried to bring some of these people, but it sounds like the, the people knew mm. they were coming and most of them got out of there. And yeah. they, they took the people they could, but they got sick so fast they were just dead. And then they're like, sorry we killed your parents here's some coconuts right here's some masks so the kids won't spread yeah just gave them a bag of coconuts and masks and spanked them on the bottom and sent them back on their way it's pretty (laughs) i don't know it's not it's not quite right well if you think about it it it, and maybe it doesn't make a difference but if you have a population of 20,000 and you say, hey, I want to bring a couple people to, you know, back to my homeland to meet, you know, maybe the king or the president or something like that, then that makes sense Hmm. in the grand scheme of things. It's still people's lives, but you're not totally decimating a population. But if you take six out of a population of 50, mm-hmm. that's a big risk. Yeah. And, you know, the old man and his wife aren't going to be reproducing anymore, but you can't lose four children and, you know, not be hit hard. Right. The tribe survived a violent earthquake that resulted in a tsunami and subsequent changes in the geology of the island. Days after the incident, several islanders were monitored by Indian government helicopters, shooting them with arrows and throwing spears and rocks. The island seems to have adapted well since the incident. (laughs) Seems like they're not as put out as the Indian government thought. Well, I mean, let's be honest. If, If you're living in a tribe, whether it's Africa or the Amazon or wherever... Uh, you're going to be a hardy person. Yeah. Because the weak don't make it. Yeah, and you're not living in like a a high rise. So right. So it's not falling down or anything. So I've kind of wondered that before. What what would an earthquake be like if you're just standing on the ground? Yeah. Is it that dangerous? Or is it that dangerous if you're in a like a tent or a hut? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, honestly... I think it would be cool if there was an earthquake and you knew you were in a safe spot. Now, you know, I wouldn't want anyone else to get hurt or anything, but just to have the land shake underneath you, like out in the middle of a field would be kind of cool. Yeah. That would be kind of, it'd be novel at least. The coconut has become a bit of a national symbol as it was a common gift when being contacted by outside groups and survives as such, despite this contact being put to an end by protests. The reason given to end attempted contact by outsiders is a high risk to both parties. 
a risk of violence to outsiders, and a risk of disease to natives. Nevertheless, there are still periodic checks by ship to ensure the safety of the tribe and ultimately that their decision to remain cut off from the outside world is respected. Boom. Boom. How you like that? How you like that? It's pretty intense. That's all we've got for you on North Sentinel Island. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll be back soon with more of the paranormal shows we know you love. Don't forget to subscribe and shoot us an email at cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com with case suggestions. Would you like to hear the true stories behind the Conjuring universe of movies? They all have a little basis in truth. Email us and let us know. Stay tuned for some music after the final commercial, and thanks for listening, Crypt Keepers. This is Jay, and for Ryan, have a great night.